Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus was no ordinary man. He did things that no other person ever did. Jesus spoke bold words about himself. He spoke bold words to others. But every time he spoke, he would back those words up with actions, with miracles. And those miracles backed up every single word he said. You know, the big question for us is, is why? why? Why did he do these miracles? Well, how, and how is that connected to his mission? I mean, remember his, his name, Jesus, means the Lord saves. I mean, those people that he did miracles for, I mean, he raised Lazarus from the dead, he healed the paralytic, but, and that's amazing, that is wonderful, but then they later died like the rest of us. So why did he do these miracles? What were they for? When Jesus began his ministry, he returned from being baptized in the, in the Jordan, and he went to Nazareth, and he went to a synagogue there. And this is the place where he grew up, probably the synagogue he attended when he was a boy. And he was there selected by the synagogue ruler to read and interpret the scriptures for that gathering on that Sabbath. And Jesus read from uh, Isaiah the prophet. And those words that he read were about himself. And these are the words that he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what? Jazz, Jason, Sherry, Sue, our gel leaders, you and me, we can all proclaim the same message that Jesus proclaimed. But here's the difference. Jesus not only proclaimed that message, but he did it. He did it. He gave physical sight to those who were physically blind. He released people from spiritual oppression, from demons. He caused lame people who had never walked before to be able to walk physically again. You know, you and me and other leaders, we, we just point to Jesus. We, we point to him. Jesus actually does the freeing. He does the forgiving. He does the healing. Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus was the seed of Abraham. He was the one promised to bless all nations, not just his own people and his, his Jew, Jewish heritage. And it's significant of where Jesus went when he performed these miracles. Why? Why it was connected to his mission. is what he was called to do, to release people, to free people. To bring sight. But where did he go to do this? Jesus returned to Galilee. Galilee. He left Nazareth. He, he went and lived in a town called Capernaum, which was kind of his home base from where he took other missionary kind of trips, going out to speak to crowds and visiting other towns. But he'd always come back to Capernaum, which was right by the lake, what was called the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the area of Zebulun, Naphtali. And it fulfilled all that was said through the prophet Isaiah. See, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 
Now, if you or me were going to start a business or an endeavor and we wanted the masses to participate in it, where do you think we would go? We would probably go where there were influential leaders. You know, we might, we might go to Washington or go to some capital of a state and, and be where those, some of those influential leaders and influential people are. Or maybe we would go to where the most economically prosperous people were. And we would go there and try to network and make connections. But Jesus was no ordinary man. Here I had connections with Father. He had all the resources of heaven. Most of Jesus' ministry time was spent in and around the area of Galilee, which was on the cultural frontier between the Hebrew world and the Greek-Roman world. It's where a lot of non-Jewish people lived. And Jewish people didn't like to be where there were non-Jewish people. They liked to kind of stick to themselves. At one point before Jesus arrived on the scene, one of the Herods depopulated Judea and, and Jerusalem. He exiled some people from there to depopulate it and sent them north to Galilee. Basically, they were cast out in a sense, and they were on the edge of acceptable society. They went and lived in an area where there were some Roman colonies that were started around this lake of Galilee. And so when Judeans in the south, those who lived in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, spoke or said the word Galilean, is a derogatory term. They used it as a term of scorn, a, a, a synonym for fool, heathen, sinner, a revolutionary, or bandit. Geographically, you know, Galilee is, is the second lowest elevation in the world, the Dead Sea being the lowest. Now, there's not many people that inhabit around the Dead Sea. It's, it's barely inhabitable, except for a few sheep and shepherds. But around Galilee, it's inhabitable. It's a beautiful place, actually. And Jesus went to the lowest inhabitable place on earth, to some of the lowest people. And there, 19 of his 32 parables were taught. And there, 33 of his 40 known miracles were performed. Jesus, living out his mission among these people, showed that he and the gospel were not just for the elite, but for everybody. Jesus was already connected with the most influential power, his heavenly father. And he already had all the resources of heaven at his disposal. Jesus came to bless all nations, all people, not just the elite. So Jesus had a why. There was this mission behind his miracles, connecting to this mission of him coming to save. He went to the lowest place, to the lowest people, because... He wanted everyone to know that this is for everyone. But what were these mir miracles showing about Jesus? What were they showing about him and who he was? You know, Jesus didn't just teach with authority, but he had authority over things and humans that, that humans just don't have authority over. Miracles showed that he had authority over nature. Jesus sends out his disciples ahead of him by the boat and, and then meets him in the middle of the lake by walking on the water to reach them. I didn't know if, if you knew this already, but people don't walk on water. That, that just doesn't work. I mean, that defies all the laws of nature and physical science. I mean, when you lay in the water, you, you 
almost have enough mass and density on top of that water to, to be able to float if you got air in your lungs. But to put your two little feet with that, much, that little area surface on top of the water, density and displacement, it just doesn't happen. You won't float. It just, you can't do that. It defies everything. You see, a, a person can't walk on water. It's physically not possible. It defies the natural order of this physical world. But Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus defies the order of the universe and walks on water. Jesus at another point in time was crossing the lake by a boat when a storm came up. Jesus was, was chilling in the boat. He was sleeping. And his disciples were getting all nervous because water was starting to swamp the boat. And they thought they were going to sink. They thought they were going to drown. And so they wake Jesus up. And he says, why are you so worried? You have little faith. And then he speaks to the water and to the waves and the wind. And it immediately calms down. Newsflash, wind doesn't have ears. Neither does water. They don't have ears. They're inanimate objects. Yet when Jesus spoke, it was as if the atoms and the, and the neutrons and the electrons and protons just all started attentively obeying his voice. How in the world could that happen? Jesus spoke and inanimate objects responded to his voice. You know, it's just like when God spoke the universe into existence. He spoke and something that wasn't there and didn't exist before came into existence. You know, Jesus could heal people's diseases which is sort of a, a disorder of nature, although maybe it's become so normal, we call it the natural order of things. But Jesus didn't heal people with medicine or didn't heal people over time like we see today, but he healed instantly by a word or by a touch. There was a man who had leprosy, which is an incurable disease, and Jesus touches the man and speaks a word, and he no longer has the disease instantly. That is not natural. I mean, the order is that disease slowly wastes away your body and you're never cured. So Jesus had authority over nature. So what? Why is that important to you and me? Well, our bodies follow the laws of nature and the curse that was passed on from our ancestor Adam has become of what we consider natural order. I mean, we grow old, our bodies age, and we die. We call that natural order. If you called sin and death natural, it's really unnatural, but it's been the way of things since the beginning, so I, I guess we call it natural now. But it's, it's the way things work, entropy. There's high energy, there's high order, and then it falls apart, it becomes broken and, and low energy and disorder and chaos and broken. That's the way we see things work in our world. So what is natural for you and me is that I can have a cold like I have one now and, and I can pass on my sickness to someone else. But I can be healthy and if I have someone I love or care about who's sick, I can't take my health out of me and, and give it to them, though I wish I could. 
Because that's not the natural order of things. Natural order is things fall apart and break. But because Jesus can override nature and change the natural order of things, he proves he has the power and authority to change our nature. Instead of sin and death being passed on to everyone through one man, Adam, Jesus now says that through him, he will pass righteousness and life on to everyone who believes in him. You see, Jesus, because he can defy nature and change it, he can pass life on to you and to me. Instead of sin and death, Jesus is no ordinary man. Well, his miracles also show that he has power and authority over the spiritual realm. We didn't see it in this episode, but there were many times that Jesus freed people from spiritual, spiritual oppression and from demons. He would speak, and the demons would have to leave at his command. He would say a word, and they would be gone. I mean, what usually people were helpless to overcome, Jesus is able to overcome with just a few words. Where we as humans are powerless, Jesus is powerful. Why is that important? I mean, so what? He has power over the spiritual realm. What does that mean to you and me? Well, because we humans, you and me, we've been oppressed and afflicted by evil. We've been prisoners to sin, the Bible says. Jesus, sh Jesus shows the world that Satan and the forces of evil are no longer the jailer holding us captive. Jesus has the keys to spiritual prisons. And whoever believes in him is set free. Jesus is no ordinary man. His miracles show that Jesus has power and authority over life and death. Jairus, he was a respected man in his community, and he knew that those who followed Jesus, they'd be put out of, out of the synagogue. Synagogue was, was a, a thing that was started actually when the Israelites were held in, in captivity in, in Babylon. They missed the temple. Tem everything was centered around worship at the temple, but they had no temple any longer. And so they started the synagogue. If there was 10 or more Israelite men, they would start a synagogue. And it became the social gathering for all the Israelites. It's where uh, the tradition of, this, of, of the Israelites were passed on. The teachings of the festivals were passed on. Um, life was centered around it. Your boys would be educated there. Regular gatherings for reading of the scriptures on Sabbath occurred there. Many other social events were around it. Jairus, as the synagogue ruler, was the one who organized the, the Sabbath services, and he, he, would pick up, uh, he would pick out who would preside in reading the scripture or interpreting the scripture. It was a seat of honor. And Jairus was not only risking his seat of honor, but in coming to Jesus for help, Jairus was willing to have he and his family put out of the synagogue. I mean, that'd be like maybe your neighborhood association saying to you, hey, sorry, you're a follower of Jesus, you're out. Oh, yeah, the, the social picnic in the neighborhood, sorry, you can't come. Rotary club, oh, you're out. Lions club, yeah, you're out. Uh, the women's knitting club, whatever, you're, you're gone. All those things that maybe had those social aspects, you would be ousted. 
And Jairus was risking that for his family. Jairus was recognizing Jesus' authority over nature and seeking his help to heal his daughter from a terrible sickness. But according to his servants and his friends, it was too late. His daughter had already died. Jesus hadn't got there on time. But Jesus goes with Jairus. He tells him, wait, just have faith and believe. And he walks in with Jairus and his wife. Peter, James, and John goes into an inner room where his daughter's laying dead. And Jesus speaks to this girl and takes her by the hand. She's dead, but life returns to her. Life returns. And this just didn't happen once. Jesus did this with the widow's son in Nain. He also did it with Lazarus after, after he was dead three days. Jesus spoke to each dead person and they came alive. Do you know anyone else who can do that? I don't. No one has ever spoken a word and brought people to life. No one but Jesus. And why is that so important? Well, Jesus has been given authority and he holds power over life and death to whomever, whomever he speaks at his command. They will live or die. Some people have theorized if Jesus didn't speak directly to each of those dead people when he raised them, like saying Lazarus or saying little girl get up, that his voice would have raised every single dead person on the earth. Do you understand that Jesus now holds the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind in his hands? That he holds your life in his hands and my life in his hands? He has authority over our life, our death. If Jesus has the power over physical life and death, the power over nature and the power over the spiritual realm, doesn't it back up his claims that he has power to give you spiritual life, eternal life, and that he'll one day resurrect your body? It does. Yes. Jesus proclaimed that he was the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him will live even though he dies. And then just to prove his point, he orders the gravestone to be rolled away. Even though the stench of Lazarus' body could be smelt, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus raises from the dead. Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the Son of God. Miracles show that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. All these things that Jesus has authority over exposes the myth of Jesus just being a good moral teacher. But this one thing really exposes that. I mean, Jesus says to the paralytic, a man he has never met, a man who hadn't specifically sinned against Jesus as a person, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders understood exactly what Jesus said and what that meant. And they were asking the right questions. Why does this fellow talk like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, Jesus, while at a dinner party, said the same thing to a promiscuous woman. Your sins are forgiven. And the same questions came up. And the question is, how can a man stand in the place of God and forgive only what God can forgive? I mean, no good moral teacher would say that. I mean, if they did, they wouldn't be good. They'd be deceptive and evil. They wouldn't be moral because they would be a liar. Was Jesus lying? No. 
Was he deceiving people? No. His miracles prove his claim. And to prove he wasn't lying, he told the paralytic to get up and walk. To the promiscuous woman, he said, your faith has saved you. So what's the big deal about Jesus having authority to forgive sins? He's not standing in the place of God. He is God. God the Son. And he holds the power to forgive or to condemn. Forgiveness from Jesus means the sins that condemn us to hell are wiped out. Like he said to the woman, when we trust him and he trusts that he forgives us, that faith is the saving of us. Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus had the power of nature, the power of our spiritual world, the, the authority over life and death. He had authority to forgive and wipe out sins. Jesus came on a mission to fulfill the promise. He's the serpent crusher. He's the seed of Abraham, the light not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, you and me, most of us here. I know we might have a few Jewish people here, but for most of us, that's good news that he didn't come just for the Jews, but also for us. His name means the Lord saves, and he came to save us from the curse of death and reverse the order to a new order, the order of forgiveness and life. Life in the Son. The big surprise is that God himself decided to come in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And Jesus the Son proved that this, he proved this by his sinless life, he proved it by his preaching, he proved it by bringing the kingdom, and he proved it by his authority over all things to bring us back to God the Father. And where did God begin this mission to bring people back to himself? Galilee the lowest inhabitable place on earth. And in the first chapters of every gospel, we see that Jesus came to fishermen. He came to people spiritually oppressed. He came to a feverish mother-in-law. He came to an outcast leper. He came to a paralytic. He came to a tax collector. All people distinctly insignificant in the eyes of traditional culture who said, you're little people. You're not important. But Jesus came to him and said, you are important to me. And I'm carrying out my mission here with you first to show the world that the gospel is not just for the elite, but for everybody. Those who are little in the eyes of the world and those like Jairus, who were great, but then made themselves small, humbling themselves before Jesus. That's who Jesus came for. Jesus helps little people, those who humble themselves and acknowledge that whoever has Jesus has life and if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. My question for everyone here today is, are we going to be big, significant people? Or are we going to get small? Are we going to get low? Are we going to make ourselves little? Are we going to be the kind of people that Jesus interacts with? I want to be one of those kind of people. I hope you do too. Jesus spoke and things, inanimate things, obeyed him. Listen to his voice. I know it's not true in my life. I got this thing called a will. It gets in the way. He speaks, and sometimes I'm very stubborn, and I'm obstinate, and I'm disobedient. And I wish I, wish I was an inanimate, inanimate object. I wish I was a rock or a water, so that when he spoke, I would just instantly obey. But I got this need 
for him to forgive me for that. And I have moments where I am like the water and waves. And I'm tossing, I'm turning, and I just need him to speak and say, be calm. And sometimes I just need to be like Jairus, and I need to make myself small and humble myself before him. Today, finding your story and his story, I know there's a thousand little subplots going on here today, just all the things that are going on in your life. But I know that God, King of kings, Lord of lords, he knows your story, and he knows how it fits in his. And he wants you to come to him. He wants you to talk things out with him. So we're going to respond to the word of God. It's a time where we can worship, just exalt in what he's done, exalt in him, who he is. It's time for us to humble ourselves. It's time for us to pray, to talk with him. There might be some business that we need to take care of with the Lord. So if that's the case, this is the moment. So I'd like you to stand with me right now. And this is a moment where you can deal with God and, and pray and talk to him right where you're at in your chairs and no one will know and it's all right. But I know that some of you might feel like I just need to do something outwardly. I need my outward, outside to agree with my insides. If that's the case, if you'd like to come up here, if you want to kneel down where you're at or if you come up here near these stairs, we'll, we'll just know that it's you and God. No, nobody will interrupt you. You can just do that to you and God. But if you would like someone to pray with you, like myself or one of our, our gel leaders or, or one of our staff to pray with you, then we'll be on either side of here uh, just to, to pray with folks, all right? So during this song, it's our time to respond to God in whatever way you see fit. So let's, let's do that. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask you in this moment that you minister to our hearts, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you, min that you would have your way with us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.